Welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. Our conversations with safety experts aim to share ideas and insights you can use to help your organization benefit from efforts to improve worker safety and health. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Hello, Case for Safety podcast listeners. Hope everyone out there is having a nice summer. We're going into the archive this week to share a conversation about one of the most important aspects of an effective safety and health management system, and that is training. This episode features Jeff Dalto, Senior Learning and Customer Advocacy Manager at Vector Solutions and member of the ANSI ASSP Z490.1 Committee on Criteria for Accepted Practices in Safety, Health, and Environmental Training. And uh, Jeff shares uh, a lot of great insights into how to develop and improve your training program to help protect your workforce, the environment, and the public. So uh, with that, I hope everyone enjoys this episode. Take care. Training plays a huge role in any effective safety and health management system. For workers to do their job safely, they have to be properly trained on operating in different working environments and addressing workplace hazards. The ANSI ASSP Z490.1 standard establishes requirements for the development, delivery, evaluation, and management of training and training programs. Joining us to discuss the Z490.1 standard and safety, health, and environmental training is Jeff Dalto. Jeff is Senior Learning and Development Specialist at Convergence Training. He is also a member of the ANSI ASSP Z490.1 Committee on Criteria for Accepted Practices in Safety, Health, and Environmental Training. Jeff, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Scott. Thank you so much, and I'm really excited to be here, and and hi to everybody out there. All right. uh, Let's get started now. We're talking about safety and health training and developing a program that will benefit your workforce and provide them the knowledge they need to stay safe. So the Z490.1 standard is broken up into five sections, each covering a different aspect of safety training. So I thought we could focus our conversation around guiding our listeners through each of those steps, starting with the management of a training program. So as far as management goes, what are the essential elements of managing a safety and health training program? Yeah, great question, Scott. And uh, if I could just really quickly address, just give credit where credit is due. I was, I'm on the Z490.1 committee. I will help create the next version of Z490.1, which will be an interesting point we come back to at the end of this discussion. I helped to create Z490.2. However, I did not help revise Z490.1 in 2016. I was asked to by Tim Fisher. But uh, I just totally dropped the ball and forgot to sign up for that. So (laughs) credits where credits do. I'm familiar with Z491, and I'm happy to talk about it, but I want to mention that uh, I didn't help create it, and and others did. But that said, what's involved in managing your EHS training program? I I I reviewed the standard this morning and calling out a few high points. The first thing is to integrate your EHS training program into your overall EHS program. So uh, that. I think makes sense, but uh, it's easy to forget, and, and making it kind of a rich uh, integration is going to be very valuable. And, and I would caution people to remember that uh, training is, is part uh, of an entire learning operation at a workplace. The next thing that the standard calls out is making sure that people are responsible and accountable for different aspects of the training program. And those could be two different things, the person who's responsible and the people who's accountable. As always, the national standards, those terms are defined in a standard. The next aspect of managing is kind of nuts and bolts stuff, making sure there's a budget, appropriate budget, appropriate staffing, appropriate resources, and what I would call a training infrastructure 
you know, things like rooms, technology, and so on. Obviously, subject matter expertise on the different uh, safety and operational aspects, but also training expertise, IT facilities, uh, understanding of your training compliance requirements, and a lot more. And, and then kind of lastly, looking at the, the big picture view, making sure you, that your organization has strategies in place for the management of your program, for your training processes, and ultimately for the evaluation of your training design, your training delivery, and the effectiveness of that training. Those are all really good points. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned about the, the integration. I think that's such a huge part of the work that safety professionals do every day, integrating safety in with the rest of the business. How can safety professionals go about integrating their training program, what they're trying to accomplish with training across their entire organization? Yeah, there's probably a, a kajillion ways to do that, uh, Scott. But um, what I would say, first of all, is leave behind a primary focus on delivering compliance-based training. Mm -hmm. And remember, compliance is a requirement, but your goal is bigger than compliance. And and so, obviously, there are all sorts of ways for us to tap into what's really going on at work, what what our hazards are, what our risks are, what our employees' needs are. And and I think the first of those starts with communication with your employees and, and, and working together with them. And I'm a big proponent of making sure that your employees are more involved in the design, development, and evaluation of your training materials. But obviously other sources, kind of safety basics, you know, uh, taking information from any of the following, your your safety observations, your safety audits, uh, your JHAs, your incident investigations, and again, all that information you're getting from uh, the workers and, and rolling that all together to inform your training and to make sure your training supports the, the real worker needs. Okay, great. Now, that, that leads uh, perfectly into, into my next question. Now, in moving forward in the standard from there, we get into the content of the training program and course development. Now, with so many different safety topics out there and the different areas workers need to be trained on, how can safety professionals best develop courses that will meet the needs of their workforce? Yeah, yeah. So, again, uh, this is not as much covered in, in the standard itself, but although uh, it is in an aspect of something called analysis, I'll talk about in just a second. But the mm-hmm. first thing I would say is make sure you're familiar with the workers and the work area and, and consult with them and, and work together on that. But in terms of what the standard sketches out, Uh, First of all, the standard is is really useful, especially to people who might be experts in safety or might be really familiar with operations, but really never had an opportunity to get grounded in kind of fundamental knowledge about how people learn and and methods for developing training that's effective and that facilitates how people learn. So um, there's some great, it's a really great established method, which is called ADDIE. ADDIE is an acronym and stands for uh, Analysis, Design, Development, implementation, and evaluation of training. Again, I was not in a room when they created that standard, but I can tell by reading it that they based the standard on, on the instructional design ADDI model. So so the, 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 if you're starting from scratch with your knowledge of how, to, how should I create training, and, and you're sitting down to write training for the first time, one of the real benefits of, of the standard is it walks you through this ADDI model. What, and which, so I recommend that uh, folks uh, read up on ADDI, follow the standard, but uh, a couple highlights. A for ADDI analysis means you have to get to know your organizational need. You get to analyze the, the, the supposed problem and, of course, your learner's learning needs. And, and that's where you should start. Then you go on and design, develop, 
implement and evaluate your training. A couple of things the standard calls out in particular. Again, training basics, but maybe not obvious to everybody in safety. Uh, to create learning objectives before you uh, create your training. The learning objective is the thing you want your learners to be able to do when training's over. And there's a, a kind of important distinction there. In the learning world, we talk a lot about the difference between knowledge, teaching knowledge, and teaching skills. A lot of times in safety, people talk about that as education versus training. But it's similar. And normally, when you're creating a, a solid learning objective, uh, especially what we call terminal learning objective, you're teaching a skill. You want to teach somebody how to do something. So right. you want to create this learning objective. How do you do this safely? Uh, then the, the standard talks about selecting your delivery method. By this, I mean things like, oh, is it going to be instructor-led? Is it going to be field-based training? Is it going to be uh, online training, which we can talk about when we talk about Z490.2 a little bit more? Is it going to be something fancy uh, and new, like virtual reality or augmented reality? And they provide uh, three tips for making that selection. Uh, one is surveying employees. The next is to figure out, is this an appropriate delivery method for my learning objective? And then the standard correctly emphasizes as part of your criteria for making selecting your delivery method, does it provide opportunities for adequate feedback to your learners? Feedback is, is a learning accelerator, and that's something you should always be trying to uh, build into your, your learning programs in general at work and your training programs. The next thing it, it touches on is training evaluation. Again, it takes an instructional design basic called the Kirkpatrick four-level model, and, and, and it walks you through the process of evaluating the training at four different levels. Those are um, what often people call it, like uh, learner surveys, often mile sheets, so on, um, tests after training or, or performance demonstrations going out in the field and seeing if people are actually applying it after training, and then seeing if, if you can map it to some progress toward a uh, previously identified business goal. So that's the Kirkpatrick model. That's what's recommended in the program, on the standard, I'm sorry. And then, of course, creating plans for continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. um, the whole point of evaluating training is not to do it for its own uh, purposes, but to see if you have deficiencies and if you can continuously improve that over time. So that's, I think, a great kind of big picture view of what the standard does and, and tips it gives you for, for, for that issue. Yeah, yeah, that was a great big picture view. Thank you very much for that. You, uh, you touched on this uh, a little bit when talking about the developing the program. So now that you've developed your course, the standard goes into training delivery, which includes trainer qualifications, delivery methods, and materials. Now, what should organizations be looking for in a trainer, and what guidance does the standard provider could you provide to ensure that you're selecting the right training delivery method for your workforce? Is it kind of similar to when you're developing your course, you're getting that feedback from your workers about the type of training they need? Is it similar? You kind of get feedback from them about how they best learn and what the best methods would be for delivering that training to them? Yeah, let me, um, let me try to answer that question in a few parts. And the first one is, what, what should I be look, looking for in a safety trainer? I think everybody involved in training should have some fundamental understanding of at least two things. And these are easy to teach to people if they're not aware of them. A lot of times when people get put in charge of training, it's because they excelled in something like operations. Again, uh, they might be great in operations, but it doesn't mean that they're knowledgeable about how people learn. So that's, right. I think, the first thing. It's just a simple understanding of how people learn. And, and the basic model about how people learn is a four-step process. We are bombarded with external stimuli by something called our sensory memory. This is a completely unconscious activity in which we filter out 
most everything and choose to pay attention to a small number of things. That happens in a fraction of a second, and then some small number of things go into what we call our working memory. These are the things that we're actively aware that we're thinking about. You can only kind of juggle four bits of information or so at any one time, so it's really easy to overwhelm somebody. And if that information doesn't ultimately get implanted into long-term memory, it's gone in as quickly as about 15, 30 seconds or something. The information in long-term memory, some of it, hopefully the stuff you want to cover in safety training, will get integrated into long-term memory through a process called encoding. Uh, there's more to talk about there, and, and, and it's actually create, uh, hopefully when you're delivering new knowledge, you're integrating it into the learner's prior knowledge on related topics and making new neural connections. And so that information will get stored in long-term memory, but that's no guarantee just because it's in memory that it will later be used appropriately on the job, and that's called transfer. So that's the basic process, and if you kind of understand that, then you can start to use methods to, to facilitate each of those steps, and you can avoid situations that kind of will create a problem at each one of those steps. So uh, that's one of the first things I'd say is understand that this kind of information processing model for mm -hmm. how people learn. The next thing to understand is just have a basic familiarity with what's known as adult learning principles. I can't, there's seven of them. There are multiple models. Uh, the famous one is by, it's called Andragogy. It's by a guy named Knowles. I can't spit them off off the top of my head. But the basic idea is people like to be in charge of their own learning. They learn actively. And they will be motivated to learn when uh, the learning is clearly relevant and task-oriented. I think I probably got six out of seven of those. You guys can look up, look up the other one. So if, if you start on that foundation, you're doing great already, understanding how people learn and using adult learning principles. Another tip I throw out is there are a bunch of learning researchers out there who are crunching data and, and doing studies and, and looking at statistics and truly finding out what things make training effective and what don't. Like, so a great example, learning research, everybody's heard of this thing called learning styles, or most of us have. Most of us believe it actually helps you create effective training. It's this idea that people are kinesthetic, visual, or auditory learners. There is no data, despite the fact this is commonly believed to be true, there is no data that designing training to accommodate so-called learning styles leads to more effective training. Hmm, and in fact, really interesting. it's my understanding that the data shows that when you try to do it, it leads to less effective training. <laughs> now, on the flip side, there's a ton of data showing things that really do work. It's called evidence-based training. Things like practice and feedback, like we were talking about earlier, uh, the use of integration of visuals, chunking, sequencing. So, uh, and then I guess the last thing is, uh, and this is wrapped up into the adult learning too, is to be respectful and courteous to your learners and kind of start with a learner focus and make your, your training experience learner-centric, as you will. So you're always putting the learner's learning needs first. So hopefully that, that's a, a good answer to that question. And then I think there was at least a second part. Scott, what was the second part of your question? Well, I think that, that covered it really well uh, when you talk about what you're looking for in a trainer and making sure that you're selecting the right training delivery method for your workforce. And I love the point you made because I think that that is really the key it, with safety training or any other kind of training is making it stick. You can you know be up in front of a classroom all day, but if you're not engaging with your learners in the right way, as you mentioned, they're not going to retain that information. So I think with uh, taking into account all the things you talked about is really the key to making sure that the learning stays with the worker after the training is over. 
Okay, so now now that you've delivered the training, you want to make sure that it sticks with your workers. And this is where the standard discusses training evaluation, documentation, and record keeping. So how can organizations and safety professionals know that their training has been effective and what steps should they take to continually improve their training program? You touched on a few of those earlier with the surveys and smile sheets, things like that. What what does uh, the standards have to say about that? And what, in your experience, have been the best methods for both assessing your program and continually improving it as as you move forward. Yeah, so as, as we mentioned earlier, the standard suggests to use something that's clearly based on the Kirkpatrick four-level training evaluation model. It's kind of the classic in the instructional design and learning development. And again, the four levels are, you know, giving people, the learners, a survey right after training. Uh, there are better and worse ways to do that. I'm a big fan of a book by Dr. Will Talheimer on how to make that more actionable. I, I would take a lot of that's That information can be useful. It's not always going to tell you everything you want to know. Uh, but anyway, there's some value in it. Uh, those tests at the end of training or performance demonstration, those have value. But it's also important to remember that people can often pass the test, you know, two minutes after training and then not be able to do it one day or one week later. Right. So, again... There's some value to that, but especially in terms of your question of is it going to stick, it's not the final solution either. That's uh, why you want to go out in the third level and go out in the field, find out if people are actually doing it. If they're doing it, you know, you know, support them, uh, give them a little recognition and so on. If they're not doing it, you know, try to investigate and figure out why. Sometimes it's because, you know, your training was ineffective. Sometimes your training is just fine and everyone knows how to do it or everybody remembers it, but there's some other reason they're doing it. And that's why a lot of times, when, although we focus on being a trainer, we really should be a performance improvement expert. And there might be some non-training reason related to why people aren't applying that, that knowledge or skill on the job. And then finally, uh, there's this issue of did it lead to a business goal? A lot of times in safety, that's you know going to be some something like an incident rate or, or, or maybe like a cost associated with incident rate, like your insurance costs or something. You know, there's an interesting discussion in the safety world about whether or not bagging indicators and incident rates are, are meaningful safety metrics. I'll leave that for uh, another podcast and smarter <laughs> people than myself, but it's worthwhile calling out. So that's the Kirkpatrick model. It's a good one. There are other evaluation models. You know, I, I encourage people to check out others and use the ones that are appropriate for them uh, at different times. There's a Brinkerhoff success case model. There's a, a kind of a five-step ROI model that kind of graphs an attempt to uh, determine ROI on top of the original four models. There's a, a model by Dr. Will Talheimer called LTEM. And, and so I encourage people to check out all those. In terms of making things stick, we talked about earlier, you know, learning, if we've learned anything about learning, or one of the things we've learned certainly, is that one-and-done training is not super effective. And people have a tendency to forget things over time. So you really should be building in opportunities for spaced practice and spaced learning over time as opposed okay. to relying on one-and-done. And then to your question about continuous improvement, yeah, the whole purpose of, of evaluating training is, is to make sure it's working and then, you know, make it better. So even if your training is working, you think it's working well, you should always be uh, in this kind of PDCA cycle, continuous improvement loop for any number of reasons. And, you know, it's the same reason they improved uh, and revised the standard in 2016. And it's the same reason that now that we're done creating Z490.2, we're going to go back and create at some point a uh, new version of Z490.1. And we created a lot of notes about doing that. 
things where maybe the existing standard could have been stronger, things where, you know, the world is changing around us and we could get more more material in there, things where we've learned more from learning professionals. So just as all trainers should continue to evaluate their training and so they can strive to make it better over time, people at the ASSP and the Z490 committee are doing the same. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned pl- plan, do, check, act, and you talk about the, the importance of that constant feedback. I would imagine that's that's a big element of that. I know safety professionals you know, always trying to stay one step ahead, looking at any new hazards that have been created or might be created. So just kind of always staying up on what's going on within the organization, as well as looking to the future and any any new training issues they see coming in the future so they can kind of build their program around those kind of things as they move forward. Yeah, exactly. So to go back to your, your earliest question in my answer, you know, it, make sure your EHS training program is integrated into your e, general EHS program. You know, your, your training should all your safety training should always be informed by the stuff you're doing every day with the everyday hazards at work, the everyday risks, uh, work, working together with employees, but also, you know, kind of safety basics like this idea of PDCA or some other uh, continuous improvement effort, mm-hmm. uh, like your risk management effort, and, and so on. Okay, great. Uh, anything else you'd like to add about Z490.1 or safety and health training and how safety professionals can make their training program the, the best it can be? Well, I, you know, tip my hat to the people who did create it. Good job. Um, for people who uh, are looking, they're in safety, they're delivering super high-stakes safety training and maybe really never got an opportunity to learn like, some basics about how people learn and how to design training. I, I think it's, the, the standard sketches out a, a really nice, repeatable method for improving your training, and, and I encourage you guys to check it out. Uh, I guess to explain the, because um, we've talked about the Z490.2 standard, mm-hmm. just to explain the relationship of the two, Z490.1, uh, everything in it is applicable to all forms of training, no matter what your delivery method is. Again, talk about things like instructor led field-based, uh, online, virtual reality, and so on. And then uh, Z490.2 is specific to online. It's not trying to replace Z490.1. It's not contradictory, and, and, uh, and it still relies in, uh, on the fundamentals in Z490.1. Other than that, I guess, watch, uh, you know, for continuing versions in the future as we all try to get better, as we learn more about how people learn. Absolutely. Definitely uh, safety professionals keep an eye out for that in the future. Uh, Thank you very much again for coming on, Jeff. I hope our listeners will take a look at Z490.1 and think about how they can use it to improve the training programs at their organization. So thank you again. Oh, my pleasure, Scott. Thank you very much. And yeah, I hope people do too. And I wish them all a lot of success. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.